Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're going to look at a guy who saw Jesus 740 years before Christmas. And that's recounted in a book of John uh, when it's talking about Jesus and the fact that he was, uh, his teaching was rejected by the people that he preached to. And it says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. And we're going to look at that word uh, in a few minutes. Isaiah, it says, said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isaiah saw this 740 years before, uh, before Christmas actually occurred. Isaiah was a, a prophet who... Uh, brought the message of the Lord, like a messenger for the Lord, over a number of kings, including like uh, Hezekiah, who was just a very successful king. And um, in Isaiah 6, there's this famous chapter where Isaiah comes face to face with reality. And this is like kind of, a, I think, a big shock to him. It's probably at the beginning of his career as a, a prophet for the Lord. And the first thing that happened was he came face to face with the reality of who God actually is. So he actually saw the Lord. And it says in Isaiah 6, 1, it was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his temple, of his robe, filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. This word seraphim, it's the only place in the Bible it, it ever is used. And it literally means burning ones. So these, they must have been just like on fire, you know, so maybe even literally here. Um, they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. The word holy means like set apart, which means he's like special. And this is like repeated three times for emphasis, right? He's awesome. He's like amazing. He's so different from you and me. It just like just blows everybody away. So Isaiah saw this, and this just, I think, shook him to his very foundation. And when he saw the Lord, he saw himself, the reality of who he was, in a, in a much clearer light. And it says in verse 5, Then I said, it's all over, I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, we don't use that word sin much anymore. You know, we like to think of ourselves as pretty good people, you know, people who maybe have a right to, like, condemn others many times, you know, kind of look down on them or see where they've gone fallen short and cancel them out. And we tend to think of ourselves as kind of victims when we've done wrong. You know, we always can find somebody in the past or some systemic injustice we can blame it on instead of taking responsibility for our own lives. But he goes like, whoa, I am a sinful man. That means literally I have fallen short. I've missed the mark. Maybe the just a parallel to this on a much lower level is the way people react when they uh, think of Tom Brady, okay? So we all know that Tom Gr Brady is a GOAT, right? Greatest of all time, greatest quarterback, even better than Baker Mayfield, right? 
And um, there is an article by a guy in ES, on ESPN who talked about this. Will Kane is the author's name. And he says, here's the main problem, because he's trying to explain why so many people dislike Tom Brady. Here's the main problem. It's not just that he's great. It's how he's done it. He's the sixth-round draft pick. In other words, he was kind of a nobody, right, coming out of college. He's self-made greatness. Everything you didn't do right, Tom did. His success is a constant reminder that, if, that you could have done better if you had made the same sacrifices as Tom Brady did. And we cannot forgive you for that. People don't really like what it takes to be successful. They don't want to pass up the donut. They don't want to check their ego. They don't want to never be late to a meeting. They don't want to hold everyone accountable. So when they see someone do all that, they've got to explain it all away. You know, and I think on a level times one million, that's the way Isaiah felt when he saw the Lord. He's going, I am so meager. I am so much less than I thought I was. This is scary, and I feel so inadequate here. You know, he also says, and I thought this was interesting, he goes like, I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. So when he's describing how low he is and how he's sinful and has missed the mark, he does it in terms of how he speaks. And when he thinks of the sin of the people around him, he thinks of it in terms of, of their speech. And that's, that's kind of curious. You know, you think about all the stuff that comes out of our mouths, for better or for worse, right? Jesus talked about this in uh, Matthew chapter 12. And he said this. Uh, he was talking to the religious leaders who were condemning him and refusing to believe in him and calling him like demon-possessed. And Jesus said, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. And then he says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. You know, a lot of times we will say things and people will call us on them, right? We go, oh, well, I couldn't help myself. That just came out of there. Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, he's going like the words that we speak just naturally reveal what's going on inside. This is what counselors have kind of caught on to, right? So with counselors, they typically will just ask you to start talking. And as you talk, the longer you talk, the more the real you gets revealed, for better or for worse. And as we think about the words that we speak here, that's kind of scary, isn't it? The things that we've said in various times, you know, maybe it was a stressful time or, you know, maybe it was some time when we were in trouble or maybe it was some other time when we were just frustrated. Jesus goes on and he says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Is that scary or what? You know, he says on the judgment day, it's our casual speech, the stuff that we said just, um, you know, without even thinking about it. Not our prepared speeches, not like the sermons that I work on or something and deliver to you, but the words that we just speak when we're just in conversations with people, when we're interacting with our family when we're there at school or we're in, in, at the job or talking in our neighborhood, 
you know, and we're, we're just going about our daily business, our words will either acquit you or, or condemn you. And you think about, are my words honest? Are they gracious? Are they kind? You know, are they the kind of words that should be coming out of my mouth? In Ephesians 5, it talks about obscene language and vulgar language. And it says those things are not appropriate. Those are not fitting for a believer, but rather thanksgiving. You know, just a, I, was, I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal. It says uh, we're cursing more. I mean, if some people actually study this stuff, you know. Uh, but haven't you noticed that? That it's much more public than it used to be. And you hear many more F-bombs than you ever used to hear. And it's like uh, the, the writer said, stress the erosion of boundaries between personal and professional and an exhausted slide toward casualness have created a perfect storm for swearing. You know, it's like, I think there's just a lot of frustration that people have that just builds up. And it's like, in a believer's life, he's, the, the Lord is saying, thanksgiving is actually fits much more for us. Because we know, in spite of just like the crummy stuff that's going on, there's like hope that's huge that's really going to win out in the end. And so there's so many reasons uh, for us to give thanks. Um, I think of this guy, Jordan Bays. Did you re see this uh, video here? This was a guy who was in the path of the, of the tornadoes that ripped through Kentucky. And if you look at the right there, that's his house uh, that was ripped up. And here he is. He has a piano there. And somebody saw him. I think it was his sister saw him playing the piano. And he was singing a, a, a worship song. Um, and it said, Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after a rain. Jesus, Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. When Nan and I occasionally go down to the Planned Parenthood to pray in front of it, I turn toward the building and I sing that song. You know, it's just a powerful song about how Jesus is the one who is going to reign after all is said and done and after all these corrupt all this corruption falls he's the one and we can say thank you Jesus we can we can bless him to make a long story short Isaiah sees the trouble that he's in and he says this then I said it's all over I am doomed I am doomed you know I it's so funny we live in this culture where we have this kind of big inflation of ourselves, right? And you constantly hear people say, well, you're entitled to this, or you're entitled to that. You deserve this, right? So it's like our president says, you deserve great infrastructure. And the companies go, you deserve the latest iPhone model, and you deserve an SUV, and you deserve to be happy. And there's a guy... Um, named Joel Leon. He's like a motivational speaker who does TED Talks, right? And this is one of the things that he posted. You deserve peace. You deserve solace. You deserve truth. You deserve compassion. You deserve empathy. You deserve understanding. You deserve community. You deserve love. You deserve reciprocity. You deserve liberation. Don't let anyone tell you differently. So I was reading this article by this guy who's actually an anarchist philosopher, right? He teaches at Davidson University. And he, he was reacting to this post, right? And he says, deep in the night, I'm not entirely sure that I do deserve the truth. 
a new sport utility vehicle, or excellent infrastructure. I reflect on all the things I've done wrong, all the people I've betrayed, all the bad decisions I've reached, all the crimes that, speculatively speaking, of course, I may have committed. I've probably done bad things that I've forgotten or of which I wasn't fully aware. Sometimes I worry that I actually deserve to be penalized rather than awarded a new car. Come to think of it, Mr. Leone's list of things I deserve includes reciprocity. That means we're getting what's coming to us. He goes, oh, no. <laughs> He's going like, that's, that's, that's way too scary. And that's the conclusion that Isaiah came to here. He's going like, whoa, you know, this, this isn't good. You know, I, this isn't good. My situation is dire. I am a desperate man, and there's really very little I can really do about it myself. And then Isaiah sees where his help comes from. And this is, this is kind of interesting here. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And so Isaiah gets help. And the only place you, we can get help, right? Our situation is so bad. It's supernatural help. I thought, this interesting way they put it here with this like burning coal that touches his lips and cleans things up. So I was reading this book by Eugene Peterson that had a bunch of like short little essays that he wrote. And he talked about growing up in Montana. His father was a cattle rancher. And he said periodically what would happen was these cattle ranchers would uh, burn off the grass uh, over like maybe three or four acres. And it wasn't grass by that time. It was all weeds and thistles and, and stuff. And just would burn it off like pour gasoline on the edges. They'd have people around there to make sure it didn't spread any farther than it was supposed to. And they burned all this junk off. And that's part of this picture that Isaiah is like seeing here in his own life. How God's judgment burns out what is useless and bad in our lives. And when we get the Lord in our lives... What happens is he starts burning off the desires that we've got for that stuff that isn't, that isn't good. He starts burning off that weakness and that selfishness that keeps us from doing the things that he wants. And he cleans up even our language. And I remember this in my own life, too, uh, as somebody who just used a lot of bad language before I came to the Lord. And it was just like my my language changed, and it was just like kind of amazing. It wasn't that I had to put a lot of effort into it. It was just that desire to swear all the time which just kind of passed away, you know? And it was just like much easier to deal with at, uh, from that time. And I think that was like the burning of God's judgment. And it's also, he said, he remembered the branding where they take that hot iron and then they mark that cattle, you know, to make sure that everybody knew that was theirs and it wasn't, like, if it wandered off, they could get that thing back. And God has burned his identification on us. When we come to the Lord, it's like he sealed us. And there's this, uh, there's this great section in Ephesians 1 that says, and now you have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. It's like his seal that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Here's a good 
picture of this actually in action. So this woman's name is Amber, and she's uh, somebody who went through the prison academy or the prison fellowship academy when she was in prison. And her life starts out with her as a high school student and a college student drinking a lot, and then she ends up getting in a pot, and then it starts to become meth. And pretty soon, it's like she's running with a bad crowd. They're committing crimes, and she ends up uh, getting arrested. And in order to stay out of prison, uh, she said, okay, I'll work the program, and I'll get sober. So she worked the program. She got sober. She got sober. Things started to get a little bit better, right? And she started doing some counseling with people who were also struggling with you know, addiction problems. But this was just so depressing and so difficult to do she started slipping back into the old life. And eventually, uh, after committing a number of crimes to keep the drinking and the, and the drugs going, uh, she ended up in prison. While she was in prison, she met another woman who just radiated joy. She found out that this woman was a follower of Jesus, and she decided, I've got to look into this. I've got to see what this is all about. And so she started going to this prison fellowship academy, which is like in various prisons. It's like the, um, you know, it's like prison fellowship has set these things up and grounded people in the Lord and helped them to, you know, come to the Lord and then grow in the Lord. And to make a long story short, she began to see Jesus the way he really was. And her life began to really change. And this time, she had the supernatural help that she needed. She got the burning coals that were doing their job. And now she's out of prison. Uh, she has, her marriage has been restored. And life is getting better and better and better because she's got the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit on her side. And that, I think, is what Isaiah experienced there when he got those burning coals burned on his lips. And then Isaiah saw his call. He finally he realized, okay, this is what God has actually called me to as his follower. I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Who will bring my message? And I said, here am I, send me. Remember when Doug preached on Moses and the Lord said, "Um, who is going to bring the word to Egypt for me? And Moses said, here am I, send Aaron. Well, in this particular case, I stole that from Gordon Lyons there. (laughs) But in this particular case, this was, uh, Isaiah goes, hey, send me. I'll be your messenger. I I understand. That's my calling, to be your messenger here. Uh, And here was his basic message. It was, I just distilled in a couple verses. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So his message was, look, if you repent, things are going to go well. But if you don't, if you're going to be stubborn, then you're going to get broken, you know, and the land is going to just go down. It's going to go down. Now, you'd think a message like that would really resonate with people, right? They would go like, oh, this is good. It's like we're being offered something really great, right? But that was, is not the case because next the Lord revealed to Isaiah the reality of this call. So check this. Well, before I do that, this is what he was hoping for. This is an interesting story about uh, the Palmari people. This is a people that totally unreached, kind of a Stone Age-type level tribe that was in the, deep in the Amazon. 
And there were these Brazilian young people who go like, you know what, they're Christian people. They go, we got to bring the message to these Palmari people. And so what happened was uh, they learned enough of the Palmari language that they could communicate. And then they pooled as much money as they could get to cover for about three months of food and, and transportation up the river. And, but then they found out that, hey, all the money that they had saved was, was going to go into just a, getting a guy to take the canoe up the river to haul him up there. They thought, we're going to trust the Lord on this. He sent us out to do this. We got this calling. Let's do it. So they give them all the money they've got. The guy takes them up the river. You know, this takes days and days, and they finally get to the Palmieri people. So they get there, and they call out to this first person they see, which is this grandmother, and they go, are you there? And she goes, yes, I am. And they meet her, and they sit down, and they talk for about an hour. And then after about an hour, they said, you know what we're really here for? We're here as missionaries to bring the message of Jesus Christ to you. And the woman, this grandmother, this was her reaction. She said, come over, Danilo. This was her grandson. The missionaries have arrived. Take them to their home. They go, what are you talking about, our home? They go like, well, we heard, two years ago, we heard on the radio that the creator God sent his son to bring people help. And I said to my grandson, I said, if that's true, then he'll send his people to tell us all about this. And here you are. And we built a house for you two years ago, and it's all ready and set up for you. And these people were like wide open to this message. You know? And I'm sure this is what like Isaiah is going like, cool. I'm going to bring this message. These people are sliding away. They're sliding toward destruction. They're going to believe. They're going to accept. This is going to be, I'm going to be the Billy Graham of 700 B.C. But this is what the Lord goes on and says. And the Lord said, Yes, go and say to this, these, this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. You know what he's saying there? He's going, look it, you're going to preach, but they're not going to believe. They're going to harden their hearts. They're going to get so stubborn that there's no way that they're going to be reached they're just going to like frustrate you and frustrate you and frustrate you. And their situation is just going to get worse till they're just beyond hope. Same thing happened to Jesus. You know, and this verse that we just read in Isaiah was quoted about him, the stubbornness of the people. In John 1, it talks about the same thing when it talks about him coming in the world. It said he came in the, into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Yeah, there was a remnant, but the majority of people rejected Jesus. And still today, they're rejecting this generous offer that the Lord is putting out there for them. I got a, I got a few... Uh, compassion kids that I sponsor. And this is one of them. His name is Patrick. He's eight years old. He lives in Rwanda. So they had this little survey. And uh, the question was, in my free time, I like to, and you're supposed to complete that sentence, he said, wash dishes. Don't you love this kid? You know? And then they said, 
what are you going to be, what do you want to be when you grow up? A dishwasher. <laughs> you know what? Don't you get that, though? I mean, we don't have, a, like, a dishwasher in our house. We wash our dishes by hand, and it's tedious, but it's very satisfying. You know what I mean? I mean, they're filthy when you start, and then, like, especially if my wife does them, they're, like, pristine, you know, and they look beautiful. It's kind of like mowing a lawn, right? Aren't there some of you here, you're going, like, you know, it's kind of satisfying, you know? Looks so good, you know? Or raking leaves when you've got the time, and you look at the, at the lawn, you're going, like, yeah, check it out. I think this is why I enjoy uh, working at the grocery store so much. You know, after a day of teaching where you're going, like, what did I just accomplish, you know? You'd go there, and the, the shelves would be, like, you know, just wrecked. And by the time you left, it was beautiful. I mean, all those, like, canned peas and canned corn. And I, I just loved it, you know, the satisfaction. And, you know, we love to have jobs like this, right? But you know what? The Christian calling isn't like that most of the time, is it? Or much of the time. And you just think about all the stuff that God calls us to. And it says, I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. He's going, you're going to have to face the fact this is going to be a frustrating job. And I think our calling in the Lord's not often easy work. Because how many times doesn't the Lord call us into difficult relationships? He's going like, I want you to keep trying to repair this message. I mean, this marriage. Even though it's going to be hard and the way is going to be difficult and you're going to feel like you're like it's never going to happen. He says, I want you to take care of this aging relative who is just so difficult and confused. I want you to raise these kids even though they're, they're just kind of selfish at this point and just so self-centered and they disappoint you so much. I want you to be that person at work who works hard even though everybody else is slacking off. He's saying, I want you to be that kid at school who does the right thing and speaks the gracious words of God, even though you won't be one of the cool kids in everybody's, in everybody's heart. I want you to just keep working at it and working at it. And it's going to be frustrating, but you're doing it for me. And trust me, be faithful. I'll, I'll think about the results. Finally, in the last verse of this chapter, Isaiah sees Christmas. And this is so typical in the book of Isaiah. It's, it's just a unique book. If you've ever read the, all 66 chapters of it, he's got this deal where he's going like, there's doom, doom coming if you don't, if you don't repent. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Repent, repent. And then all of a sudden he'll throw in a verse that projects into the future. And it kind of reminded me, I don't know if any of you ever saw Citizen Kane, this classic film, but Orson Welles used uh, a lot of shots that were like, deep focus shots where you'd see in the foreground, you'd see the, uh, these people who are doing this stuff, and then you'd see in the middle ground, you'd see like that guy standing there, the, the father, and then deep in the background, you'd see something else that's going on, and everything is pretty like in the same focus. In this particular shot, these people are manipulating and doing some things which are kind of underhanded, but in the background, there's a boy, and that boy's playing in the snow with a sled. 
And he's having a good time there. And this is kind of a picture of the book of Isaiah where he's seeing what's happening now and then he's seeing what's going to happen in 10 years and what's going to happen in 20 and 30 and he's seeing this destruction that's going to come. But then he's seeing deep into the future and he's seeing a boy and he's seeing this boy that's going to be born and he's got like an answer. He's got, there's like hope that's on the way. When uh, Nancy read that, that verse from Isaiah chapter 9 this morning as part of the prayers, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's like he's seeing this through the binoculars of prophecy and he's seeing this thing deep there and he's going like, there's hope on the way, there's hope on the way. And this is just like in this last verse of Isaiah 6 where he says, but as a terebinth or an oak tree leaves a stump when it's cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. He's going, out of this is going to come someone that's going to bring about something that's set apart and great. And, I, and it's interesting, if you read the book, as the book goes on and things get worse and worse and worse in the country, Isaiah gives more and more and more of these long-range prophecies about the one who's going to come and bring the rescue. He's going to bring the redemption. And he's, he begins by seeing him as a child and Emmanuel. And then he goes on and he, he sees him as that suffering servant. And then he sees him as the risen Lord who's coming back and he's going to rule and reign. And he's going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's Jesus. And that's the one who we celebrated at Christmas. And that's the one in our own lives as we see our own condition and we see it for what it really is, and we see what's going on in the world around us and how it's getting worse. And I think we'll probably see in 2022 not any kind of big revival of like faith, but I think we're going to see more and more deterioration and stuff that's going to threaten to depress us. But at the same time, we need to keep seeing what Isaiah saw. We need to see that hope that's on the way, that big redemptive thing that, that Jesus, as he is ready to return and come back to take us to be with him and then rule forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So let's just pray about that right now. Lord Jesus, uh, we want to thank you for the hope that you've given us in the midst of uh, really a dark world. Lord, we also see our own selves and our, the filthy lips that so often um, are characteristic in our lives and we just uh, would pray, Lord, that you would continue the mending process that you've already begun. Burn off the chaff. Let the wheat grow in our lives. Lord, let us serve you. Let us be, all of us, be able to say, here am I, send me. Even if you're calling us into things that just don't have that immediate payoff, Lord, that we trust you for the rest. And we thank you for the privilege of being your people, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.